Lord, you're God and we're not. And yes, we live our lives sometimes like we're in, like we're the lords of our own world. We know better and we're thankful because we've messed up everything we've done. Your scripture's clear on that. So Lord, we want to hear from you today. So I ask personally that you give me your thoughts, your words, that you actually stand in my shoes and speak for yourself. So that these are, this is a message for us, not my message for them. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. And Lord, when we walk out of here this morning, make us different because no one can come in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ and not be changed one way or another. We pray this in Jesus' name through the power of your spirit for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Okay. Picture yourself on a commonly traveled freeway, toll road, highway, wherever you are. And I want you to, that is if you're legal to drive, you're in the driver's seat. And uh, for me, I would have Lynn, probably my wife, in the seat next to me. But whoever it is, just someone who knows you well and knows you well enough that if you do something a little off, they're going to let you know. Okay. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of an on-ramp onto 196, but it doesn't matter where you are. And uh, it's spring break, so no one else is on the road. It's a beautiful sunny day, much like today here in Western Michigan. And I'm driving along, and I'm getting up to speed. And as I'm coming around that curve, getting on and merging with the traffic, I notice behind me a police cruiser. And I, just like everybody else, I'm a red-blooded American person. And so um, I'm going to drive a little safer. I'm going to drive a little bit more carefully. I'm going to keep an eye on my speed for sure. And I'm going to merge just right. I'm going to make sure my blinker's on, all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm driving along, and, and, and they're, they're still there. And they kind of come up a little bit closer to me. And my hands are getting a little sweaty on the wheel. And I'm coming up near a, a rest area. And I'm like, maybe, maybe, maybe I should pull over, and maybe he'll go right by. And then I feel a little bit more free. But as I'm making that decision, decision, I see those strobes on the grill start to go, the, black, the blue and red strobes, and I hear this little chirp, chirp. <sighs> start slowing down, start pulling over, and as the police officer gets out of his car, he walks up with his hand on his sidearm as they're trained to do, and he kind of walks sideways just because he doesn't know what he's going to, the person next to you looks at you and goes, what'd you do? Okay, same scenario getting on the, on the freeway, you're getting up to speed. There's no one behind you on the on-ramp, but you notice back a ways, it looks like there's four police cruisers, any, one in each lane, or you know, you've got two in each lane, and they're coming up pretty fast. You're like, oh, something's going on. I better, and their strobes are going, right? I, I, better, I better slow down and get over to the shoulder a little bit. Just, you don't have to stop all the way on a freeway, I get that, but man, something's going on. And as you're slowing down, you notice that one of these cruisers comes up alongside of you and pulls over pretty close in front of you. One has locked in behind you and there's two on your left and you can't go anywhere. And simultaneously, they all slow down at the same time and move you over to the side of the road. And Lynn looks at me and says, what did you do? Same scenario, except this time you're all alone. There's no one on the road. Spring break, Western Michigan, everyone's gone except for all of us. And, and you're, you're, you're going along and you're coming up. There's a rest stop about two miles ahead of you. And you notice there's no one behind you. There's no one alongside of you. But you look up and there are police strobes everywhere you can see. I mean, on the road. And it looks like from the distance that the only thing you're going to be able to do is get off into that, you know, it's like a detour into that rest stop. But even there, you know, there's a guy in the street in a full uniform SWAT gear, and then all of a sudden you start hearing 
And there's a, there's a helicopter flying backwards and sideways with the side door open and a trooper on the skids buckled in with a sniper rifle pointed at you. So you, you do what you do. You pull over and there's a roadblock there and there's a, there, everyone's on the, the, the they're, they're all having a, and your wife looks at you and says, what did you do? See, the severity and the enormity of the response should tell you should give you some indication of the desperate nature of your current condition. And I'm fearful that we, because we're so familiar with the gospel story, we're so familiar with Easter that we forget the enormity of what God has done. If I ask anyone in this room and most everyone online, why did Jesus die on the cross? Most of us say, to save us from our sins. Oh, that's sweet. We don't say, because I deserve to die. See, if we, if, if we really recognize how desperate we are without a savior, then I don't think that grace becomes cheap. So what we're gonna do today is do it a little backwards. We're gonna look back to see what God has done. And we're gonna end near the end of the message. We'll read this resurrection story from Mark. Because Easter isn't Easter without the resurrection. But the resurrection is meaningless without the rest of the story. So we're just going to jump back into Genesis for a minute. You know the story. I'm just going to remind you of some major events in the history of God with his people. But if you look back in Genesis 1, you see that God didn't need to do this. God is a creative God. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit have relationship with one another. They don't need us. We don't, he doesn't need things to worship him, but out of his great love, he wanted to create. And so he created, he made light and he separated it from darkness. He, he made land and water and separated them from one another. He made, uh, he made the animals and the trees and all the, the, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. For five days, he did great work. And each day at the end of the day, he said, and it was good and then on the sixth day, he made a dirt man. That's what Adam actually means. He's an earthling or a dirt man. He made him out of dirt. But he breathed life into him and he gave him some part of, of him that is only something that God could give. Adam was made to reflect the person of God. And he said, Adam, this world is yours. It's mine, but you're my steward and I want you to treat it the way I would have you treat it. And I want you to name all the animals and whatever you name them, they will be, they will be whatever you call them, they'll be called what, trees, plants, all that. But about as the day was waning on, God, for the first time in all of creation, he didn't say it was good. He said, it's not good. It's not good for dirt man to be alone. So he laid him down, he took something from him and he made, whoa, man. And he put her together with Adam and Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She was one that completed him. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. You can do anything you want to do. Just remember who it belongs to. Only one thing I forbid, this tree over here, if you eat that, it'll kill you because it will give you knowledge that you're not supposed to have. And God had a relationship with his people every day in the cool of the day, God would come and walk and talk, and be known by, and know, and be loved by, and love Adam 
and his bride. And then, on one of those days before the cool of the day, this creature shows up and perverts the image and the person of God. And he said, why don't you eat that? Can you do anything you want? Yeah, 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 we just can't eat that. Well, you, yeah, come on, sure you can. The great one, he doesn't call him good. He calls him just great, like powerful, talking about the God of the universe. He said, he, he's not going to kill you. He just doesn't want you to be like him. And so they thought, hmm, maybe we could do what we want to do and not what God wants us to do. And they ate. And at that moment, something happened. Everything that God put in order went toward chaos. God showed up. He knew where Adam was, but he said, why are you hiding? He was ashamed. So at the moment that they took that fruit and ate it, they said, not God's will, but mine be done. And shame and guilt and accusation, suspicion, Anger, bitterness, hatred, rape, murder, all things evil entered the world. Not because of God's design, but because of ours. And God did what God does. He said, I can't be in relationship with you the way we were, walking, talking, knowing, and loving. You got to go. And he sealed the gate behind him. But plan A is still plan A. Be fruitful and multiply and treat this world the way I want it to be treated. But just first generation of kids, Cain and Abel, murder. And then a few generations later, it got so bad, and God said, everyone did nothing but evil in the world. Just a couple hundred years, and we're nothing but evil. Murder, war, rape, Incest, sacrificing children. And so God, that's it, that's it. He picked one man in his family, had him build a boat, which had never been built before. Got all of his creative, created animals, at least representations of them on the ark. And he brought 40 days of rain. It had never rained. And he killed every person on the planet, save one and his family. And as the waters receded and the boat beached, God gave plan A again. Be fruitful, multiply, and treat this world the way I want it treated. And a few generations later, they were fruitful. They did multiply, but they didn't scatter. They all got together and they built this huge tower to say, we're going to deal with God on our terms. And God said, no, I'm done with it. Look what you've done. And he scrambled their language and he sent them all over the known world. And then there was warring between peoples. There was warring between races. There was warring between language. And God watched it happen again. But God, as he always does, decided, just like he was going to deal with one man, Adam, and all of his descendants, he picked another man, Abram, and he's going to deal with him and all of his descendants. He, he called Abram out and he said, I want you to leave everything that you know, go to where I tell you, and I will make sure that you and all humanity is blessed through your offspring. 
This, I'm going to show the world who I am by you and your children and their children and their children's children and their children's children's children. So Abram picks up and he moves. And then God comes to him one day and he says, I am your great shield, says God, and your, your, your reward. And, and Abram, he had guts. He goes, what, what am I going to do? I have no heirs. My this kid going to be my heir? No, God says, no, I'm going to give you one. He's old, but I'm going to give you one out of your own body. And then he laid him down and he created a covenant with Abram. And this is, this is a weird, strange, Genesis 15. It's a strange, strange passage. But I want to tell you what most theologians will say, that God in this dream, in this vision, had Abram take a bunch of animals and cut them in half. I know it's gross. He dug a ditch and he let the blood flow down in there. And this is an old Arab, uh, Bedouin way of making a covenant. But God is basically saying, if I'm not faithful to the covenant that I've just made with you, if I'm not faithful to this with you and any of your descendants, you can spill my blood and dance in it. Because he walked through the path. And Abram has to be scared to death. He's going, I'm going to, how can I decide if my offspring and their offspring are going to be faithful to God? He's going to make me go through this. He's going to say, if you're not faithful or any of your descendants aren't faithful, God's going to spill our blood and dance in it. And no, God said, nah, nah. If you're not faithful, if any of your descendants aren't faithful, if you haven't done right by God and by others, you can spill my blood, says God, and dance in it. And that begins the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then God walks with that one man and he has a kid, Isaac. And then it turns out that Abram starts to lo- Abraham starts to love the promise more than he loves the promiser. He loves his son more than he loves God. And God tested him and he said, I want you to take your kid, Isaac, whom you love, your only son, and take him to a mountain that I'll tell you about. And I want you to murder him there for me. Now that's disgusting. Abram had to be wondering what's going on, but he walks up the mountain, he, binds, bounds his, he bound his son, he put him on a rock, and he grabbed a knife, and he was about ready to plunge it into his chest, and God goes, wait! Now that I know that you fear God, that you have not withheld your son from me, your only son, I won't require it of you. And he gave him a scapegoat, something to die in his place. That will come back in a moment. And God, through Isaac, Isaac has some kids, they do some wonky stuff, and then they have kids, and they do some wonky stuff, and then there's these, these brothers, and they, one of them, they don't like their spoiled brat brother, and so they sell him into slavery, and a lifetime later, God uses that man to rescue all of the known world from famine. And he even brings his people, Abraham's offspring, he brings them from where they live to Egypt and they are protected. He gives them a beautiful situation and setting. But within a couple of generations, they have completely forgotten about the God who rescued them from certain death. What do we do? Why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep forgetting who God is and what he's done in the desperate situation that we find ourselves in? They're there, they're protected, and in a couple of generations, they have no memory of what God has done. But God still hears them crying to some God, and he listens, and he picks another man, Moses, and he says, go, get my people. And he sends them to Egypt. They've now become slaves, not protected, and it's a horrible situation. They have multiplied, but they have not been faithful. And God, through Moses, brings plagues to let the demon-worshipping, most powerful king, Pharaoh of Egypt, up in the known world to that time, 
He brings plagues so he can counter those magic tricks of the demonic. And then he even breaks the laws of physics by stopping a sea, splitting it in half so that his people can walk across on dry land. It's a glorious, wonderful miracle. And just weeks later, as Moses, his new chosen man, his deliverer, his, his savior, he walks up on the mountain to deal with God firsthand, not face to face, but as close as anyone's going to come until Jesus walks this earth. And God is carving with his own finger the way they should be into stone and his people melt down gold and make a cow and say, you brought us out of Egypt. God says, no more. None of you that are alive today are gonna make it into the land that I promise you. We're gonna wander around the desert for 40 years. But I'm gonna make you a people. And they came against warring tribes. They came against pandemics. They came against starvation and dying of thirst and God rescued them time and 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 time again and they screwed it up time and time and time and time and time and he breaks the laws of physics again when they finally come into Israel he stops a river at flood stage so they can walk across and then it roars back across and they keep messing it up so he sends them judges, people to decide on behalf of God what the right thing to do is. And they, they, they warn the people, look, God will relent if you will repent. And they don't, and then they do, and then they don't, and then they do, and then they don't, and then they do, and then they don't. And then the people say, well, we want to be like everybody else, God. We've got, you're our king, but we want a king king. And so he gave them a king king. And their favorite one, David, was a murderer and an adulterer. And one day, he wanted to build a temple for God, and he went up to purchase a, a, on a mountain, which is the same mountain, by the way, that Abraham was asked to offer up Isaac. And Abraham had said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And here's David buying that same mountain. He wants to build a temple. And Aruna says, well, if it's for the Lord, it's free. And David says, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. So he purchased it at full price. And then years later, David has sinned against God and against the people. He's actually tried to own the people of God instead of acknowledging that they belong to God. Back to that same command, treat it like it's mine. And David climbs up on the mountain because the angel of death is coming and is killing God's people. And, and, and David climbs up on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, the, what will soon be the Temple Mount. And he cries out to God as the angel of death is coming. And he says, it's not their sin, it's mine. Take me, not them. And God relents. And then we move on and the prophets, the prophets speak the word of God to God's people. They warn them, repent or perish, repent or perish, repent or or perish. And then God gets quiet for a couple hundred years. And then we hear an angel shows up and talks to a little 13-year-old girl and says, you're going to give birth to my son and you're going to call him Yeshua, Jesus. And the God of the universe becomes a zygote and then two cells and then four cells and then eight cells and then 16 cells and then it grows into a, a, an unborn child and then a born child and then a toddler and then a kid and then a teenager and then a man. And God speaks to that one man and he says, as he went to see his cousin and his cousin dunked him in the water, God shows up, hovers over him and says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. 
And then he heads off and he deals with the same deceiver that deceived Adam and Eve. For 40 days, he's tempted and he's faithful. And he comes out of that, out of the desert. And the first thing he does in the gospel, according to Mark, the first miracle, the first evidence that God is on the planet is he deals with a guy that is an outcast, a leper who should be stoned. The man falls at his feet and Jesus says, if he, the guy says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus touched him, loved him just the way he was and said, I'm willing to be clean. And the next thing we see in the gospel, according to Mark in chapter two, is four guys had a friend who was a paralytic and they, they bring him to Jesus, but they looked and there's too big of a crowd. Jesus is in some guy's home talking and speaking and teaching. And they climbed up on the, they couldn't get in because of the crowd. So they climbed up on the roof and they dug a hole through and they dropped their friend on a mat in front of Jesus. And Jesus looked up and he saw their faith and he said, young man, your sins are forgiven. And people started to rumble because only, no one can forgive sins but God alone. But Jesus says, look, what's is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But so that you may know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, young man, pick up your mat, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And he did. But for me and for you, for me to say your sins are forgiven cost me nothing. But it cost Jesus his life. For God, for me to say, get up and pick up your mat and walk, I, I have no capability of that. But for Jesus, he can snap his fingers. That'll happen. But he was willing to give his life to make sure that that young man's sins were forgiven. And then we see Jesus walk and talk and know a few very closely and love them. And he communicates his love, to uh, God's love to his people. And he corrects those who need correction. He encourages those who need encouraging. He, he talks to the Syrophoenicians. He talks to the, demo, to the, to the demons. He goes to the, to the gates of, the very gates of hell and to the Decapolis where the demons live. He does everything he's supposed to do. And for three years, he builds up a following. For three years, people are listening, hanging on his every word. And for three years, people are plotting to kill him. And then he comes in one day, we talked about this last week on a donkey and people are throwing palm branches down and they're crying out and they're saying, yes, finally, we're gonna be delivered. We're gonna, be, we're gonna get the Messiah, the king that we want. We're gonna be, he's gonna be like David and it's gonna be glorious and Rome is gonna go away and there's gonna be a theocracy set up on the earth and it's gonna be the way we want. We get our political leader and politics will solve all of our problems. And, and, and then he goes into the temple and he leaves. The next day he shuts the temple down. It is no longer gonna, no more, no more, no more. Are we gonna kill animals to save you from your sin? It's over. And then a friend betrays him and he gets arrested. And the women are brave. They follow him everywhere he goes. Peter made it to the courtyard. But as Jesus has been being tried and he comes out, he makes eye contact with Peter in the, in the courtyard after Peter had said three times, I don't know him. And then they hit him with cats of nine, oh, the cats of nine tails. They tear the skin off of his flesh, or the flesh off of, his, uh, off of his body, and you can see his bone, he's bleeding. They nail him on a cross, and they hang him there. And we'll come back to that in a minute. He dies, he cries out in a loud voice, and then he breathes his last. And they put him in a cave. They roll a stone over and his disciples and his friends and his family, everything's lost. All their hope is gone. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. I would hope, though I'm ashamed that I probably wouldn't, I would hope that when I see that man that I gave my life to die, I would hope that I would ask myself, what did I do? What did I do? He didn't do anything. What did I do? And for a day, for a night and a day and another night, all hope is gone. 
And then the story of the resurrection in the gospel according to Mark was, isn't, isn't that great of a, an account? And the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome or Salome, or I don't know how to say it. Others, everyone says it differently, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body very early on the first day of the week. After sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And by the way, the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so we could see in and see what God had done. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they, see the place where they laid him? But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of them into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So all hope is lost. They're afraid of being arrested. They're coming to do their ceremonial cleansing for a body for burial. He's not there. They see an angel, and instead of being elated, they're terrified. What are they terrified of? the depths that God is willing to go to save you. This isn't a, what'd you do? It's not a, hey, what'd you do? This is a, what did you do? Because the scripture never lies. And it tells us that the condition of humanity, every individual and everyone as a whole, was so desperate that the God of the universe had to beat death down to make sure we are not dead forever. And if you don't think that you are part of that, you're like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Well, Scripture tells us, and I'm going to describe it as an author says, that Scripture tells us that all have sinned, all, you're part of all, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says that no one is good, not one. You're part of no one. And the wages of sin... What we earn is death. But, and that is the most glorious word in the New Testament, but the gift of God is everlasting life through Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to see what happened on the cross so that you understand what it meant that he beat death for you. Abram, Abraham brought his son Isaac and was about to slaughter him on Mount Moriah on the on the, on, the, on the mountain of the Lord, on the, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And he said, I, you have not withheld your son. So he provided a scapegoat. But on that same mountain, God gave his son. He was not going to ask Abraham to give it up, but he's willing to offer his own son so you have a shot. On the same place where David said, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. On the same rock where Jesus was hanging on a tree and he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. God is saying to you, I will not give for you that which doesn't cost me everything. Jesus is saying, 
Father, you're forsaking me so that we won't forsake those who have forsaken you. And David, on the same rock where David stood up and said, it's not their sin, it's mine, take me, not them. Jesus is hanging on the cross and saying, it's not my sin, it's theirs, take me, not them. God has been telling us this story all along. He's been telling us that there's a helicopter flying backwards with a sniper, with it, and, it, and, and the sniper's name is death. The sniper's name is hell. What did you do? We have this condition called sin, and God erases it with grace and blood because we spilled his blood, and now we can dance in it. If, if you're like me, I get a little ashamed that I don't see how big of a deal my sin is, but the way one author describes it is he goes, if you're standing next to Jesus and you're looking at, you know your sin, and you're looking at it, and there's this big stinking pile of rotting cat food and mayonnaise. How do you think Jesus is looking at that with you? Is he standing on the other side with his arms crossed going, oh, so disgusted? Or has he got his arm around you? Because I see it, and we'll get to it. But let's connect first. The gospel tells us it's the latter. But God wanted us to see the desperation of our condition, that we, every one of us is doomed without grace and grace is getting what you do not deserve. And he offers mercy, which is not getting what you do deserve. It is glorious. But if you're thinking you're just getting a traffic ticket, you're wrong. Easter is God's way of telling you that you die unless I give you life. And the way he gives you life is he dies on behalf of you, for you. Second Corinthians tells us this, for God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to become sin for us. And he took it to hell, the stinking pile of rotting cat food and mayonnaise, and he left it there. And when he beat death and then ascended to the Father and sent you the Holy Spirit, you are now as white as snow, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And I pray to God that this morning, you don't leave here without accepting the grace and the redemption and the cost on your behalf that God has given you. I'll end with this. And I, 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 it just came to me this morning, so I'm afraid I've got the wrong author, but there, believe it was the short story writer, O. Henry. I don't want to defame his, his reputation if it's not him. You can find this if you look it up. O. Henry was kind of a, a, a folk hero, um, and, but he did something wrong. He embezzled some money, and he got put in prison. And the president at the time, when he's coming out of, his, out of office, he granted O. Henry a pardon, and he had people take the paper and deliver it to his prison cell. And he said, I don't want it. New legal precedent, never, been, never before has anyone refused a pardon. So they had to go to the courts. Is he pardoned or not? And the decision was, a pardon is only a pardon if it is accepted. You've been pardoned, 
but God will not force you out of your cell. Receive it. He will destroy your life. He will, I promise. In a glorious way, but he will destroy your life. He's going to make right what's wrong. And he's going to start walking with you, talking with you, knowing you, and loving you as you walk with him and talk with him and know him and love him. And he's given you a life. And he's giving you a people and he's giving you a home, and he's given you an area, and he's giving you, given you a world. And he wants you and I to treat it like it belongs to him and to do it the way he would have it done. See, there's no plan B with God. What he set up in the garden is what he's still going to accomplish now, and he's going to use you and me to do it. Let's pray. Lord, we know what we did, and we know that we're still doing it. But we're thankful how far you're willing to go to love your children. That you're willing to give up everything. That you're willing to become the exact opposite of who you are. Sin. And that you even took away our enemy, death. So we thank you for that. And Lord, again, I receive your pardon. Again, Lord, I ask you to take up resonance in me. Don't live behind a curtain that was torn, but between two lungs. Destroy my life in a glorious way so that it is transformed for you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus through the power of the Spirit that lives within us for the glory of God our Father. Amen.